World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi everyone, just before we get cracking into this week's episode, I wanted to jump on and mention our new support page. So as some of you may know, we're on a bit of a mission to increase accessibility to good quality management and career training. Um, and if you'd like to support us in this, you can go to www.worldofwork.io forward slash support to learn more. Hey. Hello. How are you getting on? Saturday? Oh, I know. So for those of you who don't know, we normally record this podcast on Friday. Today's yeah. a Saturday. It's a special day. Yeah. A little uh, bit crazy. I'm excited. Good. So here we are again. Can you believe it? We're now up to episode five of the World of Work podcast. Um, today we're going to be speaking about how to build an effective network of mentors if you're an individual, understanding how networks can help your development. Um, or also if you're an organization and you want to sort of create a network of mentors within your organization, a little bit about how to do that. Um, so that's us. That's a bit of a mouthful. I wish we had a nice single word for it. Maybe it should be like mentor network building or something. So like uh, the way I've heard to refer to it is developmental relationships. Oh, right. Okay. I know, right? That sounds yeah, well yeah, yeah. DRs. 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 <laughs> no, because then everyone wants to be a doctor. Or a direct report, right? That's really oh, that's worse. Yeah, yeah. Um, and don't forget, you can get in touch with us. We are on uh, Twitter, at The Wow Podcast. And we are. you can reach us on our website, thewowpodcast.org. Yeah, and uh, as ever, we'll we'll put up some some notes at the end so you can see some of the things that we've been talking about. So, um, so how you been doing, Dan? What you been up to? Oh, it's been uh, it's it's been busy actually, but uh, but good busy. I did something yesterday I was really scared to do. Okay, so good. I'm trying to do this thing where I, I you know if, if people offer me opportunities and it's something I haven't done before, I should just say Great. yes and go yeah, there. Yeah. So I chaired a panel uh, for the charity that I'm a trustee at nice. on their conference, and uh, you know it was just brilliant. Just, they had the most brilliant speakers and great. the most brilliant people telling telling their stories. Great, great. rewarding. Yeah, cool. really, really rewarding and really scary. And it, nothing went, you know. As my mum said, it's not like anything crashed. There we go, right? Yeah. yeah although I did sit in the wrong seat. Uh oh. Yeah. So I sat in the wrong seat and then had to be moved because one of the panelists couldn't sit. <laughs> Awkward. You need to work on those reserved signs. Whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, good. Well, I've had a pretty nice week myself. I did a few things. Um, in terms of sort of learning, the, the thing that I did that I probably liked the most was I went to uh, an event with a leadership consultancy about the future work. And that was actually really interesting, trying to get a group of leaders in a room, defining what they see the future of work holding and looking at um, what they think the, the core skills needed in future leadership is. Um, so that was good. So nice. All right. Good. We've been busy then. We've been busy, yeah. Not too busy for the podcast then. No, never too busy. Um, so what are we going to do this week? We're, we'll do our developmental um, network work. Uh, and running order, as usual, we'll do some definitions. We'll do a bit of a research roundup. We'll do a list of the week. We like lists. Um, actually, this week, we've got a bit of a, a special bonus for you. We'll be doing two lists this week. Um, that's James's way of saying he didn't want to cut one of the topics, right? <laughs> maybe. That's because it's good. We probably should have done two, two episodes, maybe. Um, then stories from the coalface keyboard, and then final thoughts, top tips, check out. So that's, that's the run in order. Um, do you want to lead us off with some definitions? Yeah, then? sure. So as always, it's uh, useful to get to grips with some of the terminology that floats around, particularly if you're uh, you not familiar with it. So um, mental... Uh, is usually an experienced and trusted advisor. It's, it's quite often someone who is further down your career, your existing career path. Um, and it's quite often, um, it's mostly tends to be an unpaid relationship. Yeah, uh, yeah there's some paid ones, but generally it's not. Generally, it, it tends to be. Um, second definition is coach. Uh, and I want to bring that up because it is different. And I think yeah, it's really important difference people understand the difference. Um, so if you're coaching someone, you're giving them special teaching in a particular subject, it tends to be time focused, yeah. quite often is a paid relationship. And it tends to be very much about uh, handing over skills or abilities or knowledge. It's, it's, it's literally, if you think of it in sports coaching, it is giving people these skills to do something. Yeah. And, and one thing I touch on, so that, that definition we read out, it's one of the best ones we could find, but um, I think there's a bit more to it. You know, so this is giving someone you know, special teaching, particular subject that kind of stuff um, but for me a lot of coaching is about helping people discover for themselves so particularly if you think about the world of professional coaching in a non-sports environment it's 
helping people explore through different questions and discover some truth themselves and things like that. But we yeah. should do a whole episode on Twitter. Yeah, and actually what I will do is I will uh, give you a link to put up on okay. the Twitter feed, which has a really nice, uh, there's a, I can't even remember what organisation it is, but they do a really nice, here's what the difference usually is. And right. it goes through like 10 different things of, of aspects of relationships and how it will differ. And the reality they say at the bottom is, you know, coaching and mentoring sometimes overlaps and yeah, it quite often do. overlaps yeah, so that's yeah, fine yeah, yeah. that's absolutely fine don't get hung up on it yeah. um, but I do think it's important to, to, to specify the difference yeah. the other one that we've got in here is a sponsor yeah. and I think it's really important that you understand that as also a developmental relationship yeah. so a sponsor in the traditional sense is if you sponsor a proposal or su- suggestion you're officially putting it forward and supporting it but in people terms it's about someone who's kind of championing you or uh, just raising your profile. Yeah. Um, is aware of you and is, you know, backing you. Yeah, and they tend extent. to be more senior as well. They tend to be someone a little bit more senior in an organisation. Absolutely. And maybe a lot and they'll fight your corner a little bit. Absolutely. Um, and then I've got a couple of uh, slightly different definitions that I thought would be really useful. Uh, one is uh, a definition for uh, what's called a developer. And it's, it, it, it's in some of the research stuff. Um, and there's a particular paper um, that describes developers as people who currently or in the past takes or took an active interest and concerted action to advance your career. Fine. And I really like that. So that's somebody developing you, right? Yeah. Somebody helping it's the you. idea is they're your developers. Yeah. They're the people who are in either through advice, through time they spend with you, or through action, actually helping you move yeah, forward. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really great. And then that's from um, Janssen, Van Veren, and de Jong's paper. And then the other one that I wanted to bring up, there's a great paper that I just loved about dirty networking, okay. which I, I'll mention in your research roundup later. But they talk about professional instrumental networking. Okay. And they make this really important distinction. Um, professional instrumental networking is uh, where you build relationships. Yep. And the professional is you're building that relationship specifically to help you with a task in your career or with uh, a part of your job. Fine. So like a group of tasks. So something you've got to be better at doing. And then uh, instrumental is about being deliberate about it. So this is not, when they talk about networking, they are not talking about using existing social networks and, Mm -hmm. you know, opportunely when something comes up. They are talking about going out and cultivating relationships. It's really active. That that are specifically helpful for your work. Yeah. Um, And I think that's really important because when I talk about uh, networking later on yeah. that would be what I mean I'm not talking about turning up at your old uni uh, reunions and thinking oh my god we work in the same industry yeah. we should definitely have a catch yeah, out yeah, that's, yeah, what, yeah. that's spontaneous or opportunistic and that's great you should do that but that is not what we're talking about yeah and I guess if you do that opportunistic then you rely a little bit on luck and good stuff happens but if you actually do a more focused pace then you've got a better chance yeah of and I guess the real reason that I wanted to make the distinction um, is because the evidence shows that when you uh, up your professional instrumental uh, yeah. behaviours in networking uh, certainly in some industries and there's a, there's a great study on law- lawyers okay. um, uh, your productivity goes up it is linked to but, being yeah, more okay. productive either because you're making I don't know maybe you're finding ways to be more efficient so we talked about return find... on investment in oh last... Jack you see <laughs> so you'll get used to this James is always always bringing it back to the bottom back line to numbers. I'll have it on a spreadsheet somewhere don't worry I know. Um, I make. I tell you what. Make a formula. We should make a formula for that. <laughs> make a uh, make a macro. Anyway, so that's um, some of the terminology and definitions that will be useful for you in yeah. the rest of the the episode. Cool. That's good. That sort of paints a picture of the uh, of things around the topic here. Should we jump straight on to our research roundup then? I'm quite excited about this. I'm quite I'm quite excited. Okay. So I thought that because mentoring fits so well with this. Um, I thought it would be fun to start by doing a little game that I've dreamed up called Match for Mentee. Um, so you've actually not seen anybody on here, but what I did, just to reflect a little bit on the world of mentoring, was I went out and I tried to find a list of famous people and whether they had mentors and who their mentors were. And I'm just going to chuck out some people who are mentees one by one and, and read out a list of, um, a list of mentors and see if you can identify the mentor for each mentee. I wish we had a little bit of theme music for it. I can't um, believe how excited I am about kind of a ridiculous I'm kind of competition. Nervous. I'm kind of nervous, right? It's kind of exciting. You're nervous for me, because yeah. I'm the one who's going to get oh, it Oh yeah, wrong. I know, I'm nervous for you. You, you know the answers. Yeah, I know the answers. Okay. okay, so just so you know, the mentees are in alphabetical order. 
as are the mentors. Uh, when we start the game, we've got to get the rules very clear. What I will do is I will read out the name of one mentee, and then I'll read out a list of mentors from within which you need to identify the correct mentor for our mentee. James, you are so appealing to my sports officiating background right now. I feel like you would have made a great official in sports. I probably would have been a good ref of some kind. Um, All right, so mentee number one, the all-famous Barack Obama. Yay. Okay, so the list of potential mentors you can choose from are Charles J. Ogletree, James Tobin, Jane Fonda, Catherine Hepburn, or Steve Jobs. It's a toughie, right? Oh, my life. <laughs> so I'm trying to work. So the, if I'm honest, right now, I'm trying to think, did Barack Obama go, Obama go to Harvard Law? And I wish, <laughs> I wish I'd read his biography, but I haven't. Um, so, oh, let's think about this. Let's think about this. I think I am going to go with uh, James Tobin. Unfortunately, James Tobin is still out there as a mentor for another one of our mentees. The correct answer is Barack Obama had multiple mentors, actually. But from our list, it's uh, Charles J. Ogletree, who... Oh, I was the Harvard Law Professor. You were so close. Oh, I'm so frustrated. Yeah, well, you've got got time to pull it back. Um, I can see where this game's going already, and it's going to be a low-scoring game. Okay. (laughs) All right, so so Barack maps up with Charles... um, but, you know, Barack Obama has a range of, of mentors. And, and reading through the list of people that are described as mentors, there's some really interesting ones. And some really nice ones, like local community um, organizers from when he was working in Chicago and things like that. So, so you know, mentors across a whole range of life, from uh, leading academics to community And we're going to pick up on that yeah. later. People tend to think of mentoring as a very singular one-on-one, one-to-one relationship. And actually, the, all the evidence suggests that building a huge group yeah. of people you go for different, different things is really much more effective yeah. so it's great to see that in, in, in action yeah he got he, he got the top job right so he's done pretty he well. did something right okay so so next up mentee number two behind door number two we have Jane Fonda now we're going to go through our list of mentors we are now leaving out Charles because we've already had an answer um, for him as Barack Obama's mentor so Jane Fonda was she mentored by James Tobin Herself, Jane Fonda, she's on both sides of this equation, Catherine Hepburn or Steve Jobs. So I've got to be honest, firstly, I secretly want her to have been mentored by herself because I've got a real thing for Jane Fonda. I think she's blooming brilliant. Um, I've seen her interviewed. If you follow her on social media, uh-huh. she is amazing. Okay. Right? I've so never, never she's, followed she's her. She's just amazing. She does things like she posts, um, she posted a picture of her uh, the next morning after a big awards dinner and she'd looked Fabulous, right? Yeah. And then she posted a picture of her the next day, and because her dress was uh, so tight and had so many fastenings, she hadn't managed to get out of it, and she was like, "I'm stuck in my dress." And I just thought, I love this. Woman. That's kind of there's a real honesty a to her that I really, really that, like. So. Yeah. Uh, so I, um, Catherine Hepburn's a really interesting one because Catherine Hepburn is a really serious, um, was incre- a huge thinker. She mm. really, really was was far more than what perhaps she'd been written about. Um, I just don't know if it would have been Catherine Hepburn and Jane Fonda. It's an odd mix. Okay, I'm going for Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, okay, you got it right. So number two, Jane Fonda didn't, in fact, mentor herself. As Um, amusing as that would have been. That would have been fun, right? I'm sure there's someone in Hollywood that would claim that. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. So that's good. So so again, uh, like we said, you know, these people have had multiple, multiple mentors. But apparently Catherine uh, Hepburn was, uh, uh, like you said, I mean, she's a, a complex... Um, oh, so she is Catherine Hepburn is um, if anyone's ever interested in uh, reading about women who in a, in a time in America mm-hmm. where they were really struggling to uh, not prescribe to uh, subscribe to a certain type of uh, womanliness and yeah, a certain type yeah, yeah. of femininity Catherine Hepburn was blowing the doors off yeah um, yeah so there we go so Jane Fonda was mentored by Catherine Hepburn man I'd pay good money to be in that chat it would be interesting I bet it was booze I, bet was I have to say they do like a drink those two <laughs> As far as I can work out from the history. <laughs> um, I'm getting stuck in your dress. Maybe that's got something to do with it as well. Well, Catherine Hepburn famously never wore dresses. Okay. She yeah. wore trousers at yeah, a time yeah, when she wasn't yeah, allowed, yeah, yeah. which is just bizarre yeah, yeah. now, but yeah. All right. So up next, we've got Janet Yellen, who was obviously um, head of a Fed 
um, in the US, amongst other things. Up until relatively recently, yeah, it was very recent, prolific, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Janet Yellen, was she mentored by James Tobin, Jane Fonda, or Steve Jobs? I, I'm going to go with James Tobin. Yep. I think it has to be. It has to be, yeah. Right? It does, it does. I mean, it's, you know. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but it has to be. Of that list, it's, it's pretty clear. So that's right. So, so, um, so again, obviously, you know, um, economics clustering together. But a great, um, a great example of you know career-based mentoring, um, and, and quite interesting. Okay, so next up, we're getting down to the business end here. The scores are two points to you out of a possible three, so you're doing pretty well. Next up, we've got uh, young Mr. Mark Zuckerberg, who people might have heard of, and the options for his uh, mentor are we're down to two: Jane Fonda or Steve Jobs. So can I just say I want it? to be different from what I think it probably is I really really want it to be Jane Fonda Um, but unfortunately I think it's probably more likely to be Steve Jobs yeah that's right Um, Um, yeah yeah unsurprising but again you know somebody from similar type of industry with a similar entrepreneurial background Um, so apparently you know really useful useful reputation uh, sorry um, relationship for uh, for Mark when uh, Facebook was growing yeah absolutely well it's being anointed, right? Depending on what, what stage of Steve Jobs' life he was at. Yeah. And yeah. depending on whether he was in or out or back in, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of a hero of the tech industry, I yeah. just, you know, it must so have been So it crosses over towards sort of sponsorship, doesn't it? I mean, you know, that, that role is it's mentoring, it's coaching. Maybe there's some sponsorship in there as well. Yeah, or maybe, um, you know, and it's, it's interesting. That it's why once you start delving into this stuff, you start questioning what sort of mentor, what was the role. Yeah. And I think that really matters. What are they doing totally. for you? Because for all we know... It might have been nothing like that, and it might have been I phone you up when I'm struggling with my board because I don't know what to do with them. Absolutely. And of, of all the people who would know every trick in the book, given his experience, Steve yeah. Jobs would be that yeah. man. He'd be like, "Well, I got it wrong twice, so let me tell you." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's a good one, and and um, we've only got one possible pairing left now that we've been through. I know, which makes me deeply happy, actually. Yeah. Well, do you want to do you want to talk us through? So uh, I've got the list in front of me of the mentees. So I'm, uh, and the last one is Michelle Obama. Yeah. who is again it's like you've picked some of my favourite some not all no. some of my favourite people um, and so the one left is Jane Fonda yeah Jane which Fonda which just I think now if I could pay good money to be in a room that's the room that I'd be in that would be fun right because I feel there would be um, Michelle Obama is is a massive massive pin up for me anyway in terms of the way that she talks about her life and the way mm-hmm. that she articulates and I don't know you probably won't know this but she does lots of work uh, when she comes over here with a school in North London she has a relationship oh, with them no, and she's carried know. it on afterwards yeah. um, and I just the, 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 she's just brilliant Great. So and Jane Fonda's awesome yeah. as I've already said yeah a little bit and so Jane Fonda's on both sides right so she's she was obviously you know a mentor um, to Michelle Obama and a mentee of Catherine Hepburn so it's just it's kind of cool to see people um, on both sides of that equation. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it might be different. Maybe it's not different at all, actually. But at the time, I think, particularly uh, when Jane Fonda was coming onto the scene, mm. um, women had a complex role in in Hollywood. It was really difficult. And yeah. so her understanding that value would make total sense because yeah. she would watch uh, the exposure of Michelle Obama through, you know, really not through her choice. Yeah. And how can she use that? Mm-hmm. And I think Jane Fonda's been very effective at using her position, mm-hmm. using her position to bring bring a light onto certain issues yeah. and, and I think that's really cool yeah good so that was Matt for Mentee um, we might come up with I love some, that game <laughs> fun, isn't it? we'll need to come we'll up with some new we make everything a game yeah. everything a competition can we have a school board did <laughs> I win most importantly I think you I won I think okay. you, you did yourself proud you had four out of five you got um, a bit stumped by an early uh, early difficult one there but 80% overall is a pass in anyone's book I believe yeah, I think so. Although I do feel like I should have defined what success was at the beginning. Well, I think you probably should have done. Thanks, James. Um, but we can talk more about... We'll know, talk about defining success yeah. and goals in another episode, <laughs> right? Yeah, with, okay. uh, yeah, goal setting and targets and all that stuff. Okay, so that was Matt Fermenti. And, and I just thought it was a bit fun, but but important to to reflect on the fact that everyone benefits from having mentors. You know, it doesn't matter where you are in your career or what your career is. Um, it's always useful to have somebody to speak to. Um, who can provide you some advice and, and guidance and help um, across the whole range of skills and challenges you face and, and requirements you have as an individual. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. So next up, as part of our research roundup, is uh, diversity networks. Right. So this seems maybe slightly tangential to building a network and, and growing sort of development networks. But I think 
I think it's really important and a lot of the organizations that I've been part of and seen have introduced diversity networks um, and I think it's just worth touching on them because because they provide great opportunities for individuals to broaden their own network and, and follow some of that you know professional instrumental networking that you're talking about by finding people with the skills to help them admittedly aligned to a specific subset of diversity and I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute um, and for organizations they provide a really great way to introduce and structure um, networking opportunities for people in their organizations as well well yeah and I think I think the, the, the two bits that I would talk about is one is having a network around uh, where you can connect with people who are in the same circumstances as you yeah. is quite a unique scenario so um, uh, I was at an event yesterday and mm-hmm. we were talking about uh, LGBTI plus networks mm-hmm. uh, in the media and the idea that you know when you work go into a very rural newsroom with three people in it yeah being able to talk to someone who has been through the process of coming out for example in that environment and can give you some advice practical advice on how it's comfortable really really good um and i think the other thing is from organizations point of view that i think is really relevant for this is about um how they can canvas the views yeah. Quite, quite easily it's of a group and making che- making sure that their policy is actually not accidentally going to you know for example if everyone's going to give them I don't know Saturday afternoons off from a, a shift p- pattern and it turns out that there's a faith group that really doesn't work yeah, yeah, for yeah, example yeah, yeah, yeah. because they do it anyway yeah so so yeah so a little bit more about I guess probably should have started with a little bit more about exactly what diversity networks are and I, and again I think we'll, we'll do uh, a whole episode on something like this at some point um, but when I talk about diversity networks, what I'm talking about is creating a network and a community of people predominantly, or at least initially, from a specific strand of diversity. So the examples of ones that I've been involved in are ethnicity-related ones. So here in the UK, we talk about um, BAME, B-A-M-E, Black, Asian, and uh, Minority Ethnic, so a sort of um, ethnicity-based collective. We have gender-based networks, um, disability, which we, in my work, have included um, within that uh, mental health, age-related networks, mm-hmm. um, and then sexuality. Um, so your LGBTQI type thing that that you um, that you alluded to. So so when we've created these networks, we we bring together people from these diversity strands who associate with them, um, so that they can work with and get to know people. Um, other people from those strands, some more senior, some more junior, uh, with whom they can build relationships. So your, your thing about your rural newsroom, you know, that's a great example. If there's a network, you can meet people who've approached things um, that, or been through things that you were approaching with a similar sort of perspective and set of challenges or um, things to do that, that you have. Um, one thing I'd say is that actually, while when we've done this, the networks have been about one of these specific diversity strands. In no instance have they ever been exclusively for people from these strands. So we'll have, say, an ethnicity network, um, but of course you've got people from all the ethnicities there, and anyone else who, who believes that they have something to add, they can be a mentor, they can be, we talk about supporters, we talk about advocates, um, and, and trying to broaden out to your population. We basis. talk about allies a lot. Allies, yeah. So, so for us, we've had, within the LGBT work, um, LGBTQ work that we, we've done we've had allies there but then we've had advocates and supporters and some mm. of the other networks um, so that's kind of what the diversity networks are in terms of the way that they often work in the organisations what what I've I've often seen is um, they tend to hold events be they calls or actual physical events where they bring people together focusing on specific topics um, or specific challenges uh, to to communicate, to share knowledge, to get views, um, and to some extent to sort of build that network as well as to sort of promote and communicate some of the challenges that are out there. Some of the things I've been more involved with are maybe in the mental health space where a lot of work is around trying to destigmatize what's, you know, the way the world sees mental health. So part of that is a communications exercise in itself. Um, and in terms of some of the, you know, the specific relevance for this conversation actually these diversity networks are great places for anyone to find a mentor or to find a developmental interlocutor 
to um to to really engage in a conversation with that that will help them i guess a developer in your language yeah um i think uh the the great thing about using networks like this um is those the people in that room already see the value of bringing people together yeah. so that you've got a, you're, you're you're plowing a really rich fertile field you're yeah. looking at people who already understand the importance of developmental relationships yeah so as an individual i'd recommend anyone whether they're associated with any of these diversity strands or not to, to be involved. You can be involved as an ally or you can be involved if there's a strand that you associate with and it's a great way to find something. But again, if you're an organization, it's a great thing for you to try and implement to, to help foster a culture of networking and development in your organization. And some of them, some organizations are large enough to have networks internally of their own. Some have industry-related networks and broader networks. So it's worth exploring how you as an organization can bring some of this into to where you work. Yeah, just on a the side, they, uh, they trigger great conversations. So Rangers okay. formally adopted an LGBTQI group yesterday. Uh, yep. Do you want to say who Rangers are? Sorry, I should. So Rangers are a uh, Glasgow Rangers. They are a football team in, this, in the fair city of Glasgow. They're an incredibly passionate supporter group. Um, and uh, they, it's, it's a big deal up here yeah. and it's really interesting looking at the Twitter response and there's a real split there's you know why do you need your own space what's that all about and fortunately there is also a huge number of people going I'm ashamed to be a Rangers fan that you're even asking yeah. that yeah. if, they, if they're, they're a fan group if they want to get together and do it in their way yeah. great and I'm, I don't belong to your, your group can I still come and you know hang out with you yeah. and they're like yeah we'd love that and I yeah. think um I just think even in sport now, they're understanding that there is an opportunity to have people that they can relate to and learn from their shared experience. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, all right, so that was a, a little touch point on diversity networks. Next up, well, one other thing I want, or I've got two other bits I want to touch on. The next thing I want to touch on in terms of research roundup is reverse mentoring. Have you ever come across reverse mentoring? Do you, do you know? So interesting, yes, because I used to work on a youth Okay. Uh, charity and one of the things that was really important we felt was that the people working in it understood what was going on for the people that we worked with yeah. so uh, we didn't call it reverse mentoring okay. um, it was like a buddy system Fine. but effectively it was uh, using some of our young volunteers and leaders to help inform, shape, advise and support some of our staff who maybe like me were no longer seen as youth focused yeah yeah, so, so that's kind of exactly what reverse mentoring is. When we talked about the definition of mentoring, we, we, or when we described it, we talked a little bit about a mentor being somebody that you can learn from who's maybe got more experience in a specific area than you. And traditionally, when people think about that, it tends to be somebody who's hierarchically more senior. That's just the nature of it. You know, somebody who's had your job and is maybe one or two steps above you in the career ladder now. Um, so that you can learn or from them. more expert I think or, in or more in a technical it's really world. common to yeah. be more expert yeah and uh, so that's the way we traditionally think about it but increasingly there are lots of areas where senior people aren't the experts or aren't specialists in their area so they can really benefit from learning from other people mm-hmm. um, so th- this is the idea of reverse mentoring so you'll get somebody um, who is hierarchically less senior but you know typically more knowledgeable or expert in something and they'll spend time mentoring a senior person and where I've seen that work is in two different areas, I guess. The first is technology. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole piece around technology that's, that's there. Actually, three areas I've seen it work. So technology. Um, another one that's important is around, um, in the industries I've been in, it's around customers. So you, you can kind of get youth um, reverse mentoring to talk about what it's like to be a young person and to gain that experience that helps people in, in um, shaping products and uh, offerings for customers and then the, the third one is sort of more in the cultural space and I've seen it reverse mentoring work pretty well with the diversity networks as mm. well so you know a young person from one of the networks uh, spending time mentoring a senior person who's not of that network to explain you know what's it really like being me in this organization whatever that happens to be I like that a lot yeah it's, it's a useful thing um, and again we might touch more on that so that's reverse mentoring. So we've done Matt Menti. We've talked about diversity networks. We've talked about reverse mentoring. And the last thing I want to talk about, which again, like many things we talk about, I think might deserve an episode of its own at some point, is communities of interest. So when we, when we talk about the diversity network, what we're talking about is bringing people together for a purpose. And when you talk about things like that, quite often you think about communities of interest, right? A community of interest is a phrase. 
that people use. Um, sometimes people also use communities of practice, which is kind of similar. And when we talk about this, really what we're talking about is a group of people with a similar interest, um, maybe some similar objectives, uh, coming together uh, to to work towards sort of achieving that goal, or or maybe more importantly, to share knowledge and ideas and experience in relation to that area so that they could all be a little bit better. So ideally, diversity networks are kind of communities of interest. Um, but also from an organizational perspective, if you're thinking about introducing mentoring as something that you want to roll out within your organization, you might want to create a community of interest of mentors and all your mentors could get together and they share knowledge and they learn from each other and they share stories and they reaffirm positive behaviors, they admit to mistakes, all those things that, that make it uh, easier to to become proficient at, at what you're trying to do. Similarly, you could do it with a group of mentees. So if people are are you know new to being mentored and they're mentees themselves, they could get together and share their their experiences and challenges and what they've learned and raise ideas that they think might make things better. Um, so in terms of what you need to do to to be successful when trying to create a community of interest, there, there are some things that are useful. So having clarity of purpose or interest is important. Um, trying to get that sense of shared identity. So if you think about a lot of the diversity networks that I've um, sort of been part of and helped uh, set up and stuff, they tend to get a name, an identity, a logo, all those things that, that help create that shared identity. Um, they need to be well-led and steered. They need senior sponsorship. Unfortunately, they take work, so they need some coordination and admin. They need effective communications internally and outwards. Um, your members need to be interested. They, you know, the, the membership needs to feel it can really make a difference. Um, you need to not just feel you can make a difference, but you need to do it. There needs to be some delivery, some momentum, some stories to tell. You need to listen to the members and get their ideas. Uh, increasingly, you need collaboration tools to do this effectively because you're bringing a group of people together, predominantly remotely. Um, for them to be effective, they also need to be unique. So, you know, they they shouldn't overlap with any other. Um, communities that you've got it's, if you've got sort of conflicting competition then you, you dissipate the effectiveness of that community they tend to bring in guest speakers and things like that to, to drive momentum and to stay engaging they need to recognise success um, and they also need to have a reasonable expectation of their members so you know communities of interest are predominantly voluntary or I'd say they're pretty much all voluntary sort of side of your desk things in my language uh, so, you know, you just need to bear in mind that this isn't somebody's full-time job, so anything you get from them is, is good. Have you got thoughts on communities of interest that you seen? I guess, so we, because uh, my experiences in the sport and the charity sector mean that generally I've worked with much smaller organisations. Yeah. Uh, so a big organisation in my terms is a thousand people uh, and much more likely to be much, much smaller. So actually where I've seen communities of interest really work well is and there's a oh there's a fabulous one there's a group on uh, Facebook and I won't say its name because I haven't spoken to them about it but basically it is a uh, group of people who work in income generation and charities and fundraising okay. and they have off their own back created a Facebook group that's got about 4,000 people and wow. it's the most extraordinary place to be these people are so free with their skills and their time to each other that's great it's a beautiful you know people post and they're like oh my life I've just had a message. Apparently, our policy's changed. I've got to write a new one. Has anyone got one that I can use as a template? And yeah. literally, within about three minutes, five people have gone. Yeah, have mine. Have mine. Yeah. Because they're they're all up against a similar communal challenge. Yeah, yeah. it's similar, like a common purpose. And, it, and... and it's um it's a really lovely thing to see. And so for for our industry, it tends they tend to be industry or sector wide, and they they might be sub sector yeah. wide. So for example, we have um a great heritage volunteering group. Okay. Uh, so that's heritage charities who uh, uh, and the volunteer managers within them I know there's one that's really really strong um, and they're kind of a halfway house between uh, industry learning mm -hmm. and general industry networking and so they understand the challenges they face and they talk and they do all of those things all of yeah. the things that, the good ones that I've seen have all of the things they're using virtual collaboration tools yep. they nominate someone they're voluntary they nominate someone each year to mm -hmm. do the pulling together and come up with ideas yeah, they've, yeah, yeah. they've created that shared identity and there is and the momentum bit I cannot state enough how yeah. important there needs to be a group of people who want to move this forward yeah. so yeah I, I, I would wholeheartedly um, encourage organisations and people and sectors yeah. to think about how they can use them yeah great great ways to develop 
just in terms of scale, um, the the networks, the diversity networks um, in the organization I last worked at, I think all of them had more than a thousand members. Yeah. You know, and some of them are pushing 10,000 members and, yeah. you know, from within one organisation. So, so I guess the lesson that people listening can take is it doesn't matter whether you are in a massive corporate organisation with offices all over the world and thousands and thousands mm. and thousands of staff or whether you are in an organisation with five people, like yeah. I was, mm-hmm. people can still tap into these networks Absolutely. and these communities of interest and find ways for them to work for them. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's really important. Yeah. Help you develop. All right, um, just... just Wrapping up the research roundup, uh, a couple of teeny specific hints if you're looking at setting up one of these these um, community of interest type networks. So a few quick points for you. So one, if you're going to set them up, remember it's voluntary and uh, implement co-leadership. So don't make one person responsible for setting up your networks because it's a side of your desk thing and there are going to be times where they can't do it. So by dividing the responsibility, you divide the workload and you double the communication. So that's a great way to do it. I'd say more than two is is too difficult, but if you can divide it between two, that'll, I'd say, at least double your chance of making it really good. Um, you've got to use technology. You know, increasingly people are remote. You've said in small organizations, you need to think externally. Well, you need to be digital in that collaboration. In large organizations, you'll be multi-site. Um, so you need to use technology there. Um, do the basics well. So, you, you know, you've got to remember to send invites. You've got to treat it professionally. You've got to remind speakers that they're set to come. You know, all that kind of stuff, right? You've got to, you've got to just do the admin bit because it won't take care of itself. Uh, you also, we talked earlier about it, you've got to set specific, measurable, ambitious, but achievable targets. You know, people are here because they want to do something. So help figure out what that is and, and work towards it and celebrate your progress towards it. And that'll help achieve the goals that, that you're aiming at. Um, Listening to the members is really important. You've got to actually see what people are looking to do um, and value their contributions. And then the, the last point is just be prepared for stuff to go wrong, right? I mean, you can only prepare for so much, but somebody won't turn up or something won't happen or, you know, there's always a bit of a mishap with a lot of these things. So just be um, be ready for that and I go think, with it. Yeah, I would, um, I think that's really important. I don't, you know, I have, I have been involved in setting some of these up mm-hmm. in various ways. And I go into all of them assuming they're going to fail, but delighted when they succeed. Yeah. Uh, because they won't, you won't make this happen. Mm-hmm. You will put the framework in place, right. potentially. Yeah. The yeah. people who you are trying to help will make it happen, yeah. or the people who want to drive it. Mm-hmm. And if they don't want to drive it, there's no point having it. Yeah, exactly. So um, I just tend to assume it's not going to work. And then I'm going to get this lovely, pleasant surprise yeah, when yeah, someone phones yeah, me up and goes, oh my God, can you come and speak at it? And you're like, <laughs> like really? what the thing I set up? That's amazing. <laughs> really? It's still happening. Yeah. So I like that. Um, Cool. Okay. So that's research roundup. So match for mentee. It was, roundup, yeah. right? Match for mentee, diversity networks, reverse mentoring, and communities of interest. So hopefully that gives people a bit of a flavour of some of the things, you know, around um, development networks, how you can create them, sort of concepts within them, and a little bit about mentoring itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so that's Research Roundup. Do we want to jump on to List of the Week? Yeah, to... absolutely. So we thought the most practical uh, thing we could do with List of the Week is we're actually going to do two brief lists um, and we're going to do um, effectively how to build mentoring, developmental relationships, development network for yourself. And we're going to do it from the perspective of for the person and yeah. we're going to do uh, how an organisation might do it because yeah. we think that's the most wasteful, uh, useful way to do it. Uh, Wow. Divide. Divide the work. <laughs> so I think maybe the best thing for me to do, shall I crack on with the for yourself? Yeah, why don't you And do then that you can take on the organization given your wonderful corporate experience. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, our list of the uh, five, top five things you need to do to uh, build developmental relationships and a developmental network. Number one, know why you're doing it. James alluded to it earlier. Be really clear and honest with yourself about what your goals are. Can you explain them? because you're going to have to, to the person that you're, you're doing it with, um, and do you want to grow and develop, and be honest about that. Um, On that, when we were chatting a little bit earlier, and speaking about the mentors here, we said that you know people have multiple mentors, so what is So I think that's, okay, so um, certainly we were talking, I was talking about a tool that's online that's free called uh, My Personal Boardroom. Uh, you Google it, you'll find it, or use any other search engine. 
And um, effectively what it does is it identifies that there are, there are kind of 12 in their language different roles for people and you want to try and fill that boardroom. And the idea is you might have some people who are unlockers of resources, you might have some people who are your, I really like some of their terminology. Um, so they have things like uh, anchor, yeah. which I really, really like. And then they also have nerve giver. Nerve giver, I know, okay. and I think the idea is who do you phone when you need someone to go, God, just go for it. Yeah, yeah, you give can it a do shot. it. <laughs> yeah, and just hold your nerve, you're gonna be fine. Yeah. I have um, I have a guy that I worked with years ago, I don't, I'm not in touch with him anymore, but he used to say to me um, when I was building up stuff, keep your powder dry. Just yeah, keep yeah, your powder yeah. dry and hold your nerve, hold your line, you'll yeah. get what you want. And um, I, I loved him for that. Yeah. So um, I really like that idea that um, understand that one person can't be everything, particularly mm-hmm. in this world where everyone's really busy. But instead, if you've got this this sort of group of people, it might be five or six, it might be in my case, it's 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. Some of those people I speak to maybe like once every couple of years. Yeah. But I tap them up for very specific advice or because I want to run something through with them or because I'm in their field and mm-hmm. I'm looking for some help. So be really clear why you're doing it and why, what you're looking for. Um, number two, choose a mentor from your network. So don't, don't start complicated. Start really easy. Mm-hmm. Look who is already in your network. Look who is already in your sphere. Who do you have contact with? Um, and... Think about why they might want to network, uh, might want to develop you. Yeah. Think about would they, why would they want to champion you? Mm-hmm. Um, usually, uh, quite often, if you, certainly if you have quite a lot of relationships, I have found that I've looked around and I thought, oh, I want that person. Mm-hmm. I'd really like to spend more time. It's not even I know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah But yeah. the first point is I really want to spend more time with that person. Yeah. And then I work out quite often they've been mentoring me and I didn't know about yeah, it. They've yeah. been like cultivating this little friendship. Yeah, and I thought yeah, that. yeah. yeah. Be and they're like, no, I thought I already was. I was like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> um, so choose someone from your network. It's, this is the easiest place to start. And actually, it's a, it's, it's a really straightforward process if they're already in your network. Um, step three, um, engage with that person and uh, you know I, I, the phrase we use is engage with your mentor but I want to be really clear about this most mentoring relationships don't have the word mentor in them um, I have sounding boards Yeah. I have people I grab a cup of coffee and bounce ideas off yeah. I have people I come to when I'm having a bit of a stress yeah. um, and so quite often when I reach out initially I do not say I'd like you to be my mentor because yeah. actually they don't know me that well Yeah. what I say is can I buy you a coffee, cup of coffee and pick your brain? Yeah. Um, or I'm really interested in the project that you did uh, a while back in your career. I'd be really great to yeah, sort of yeah, hear a little yeah, bit more about how you Buy you a coffee or have a drink. You know, really informal. Um, because apart from anything else, you don't want to commit to it until you've started to understand, do you gel? Is there, mm-hmm. a, is there a communication um, route there? Um, so for me, that's really important. Um, and therefore, the next one is a follow-on for that, which is test the waters. Have that coffee, have that drink. We've called it a chemistry meeting. Which is quite formal, <laughs> but it's a phrase. Yeah, it's, 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 it is, it is a phrase. Yeah. yeah, and as you'll see, James's corporate background, he knows all the lingo that I yeah. don't, and I'm sure <laughs> you, you guys probably know that. But have that moment where you sit in a room with them or in a place mm-hmm. and have a chat yeah. and see how it feels and see if you feel like there's room for. It. Don't expect to be best mates straight away. Um, and don't rush it but if you feel like there's potential for that relationship yeah. go for it and I'd say like for me a first meeting shouldn't really be about the subject it should just be about the person yeah and I think that's really important for I'm going to come on to that okay, later in yeah. my top tip because I think oh, right, um, so. as a mentor sometimes you go into that meeting and you're like okay right I'm ready to change this person's life it. I'm going to you're really it. not going to solve this person yeah. this person has been trying to solve their life and crack on and they're yeah. doing a very good job um, so, uh, but definitely don't commit to anything until you've had that conversation. It's really important because it's got to be worth, you know, if you're going to take time, both of you, then it's really important. That's going to be worth it. And, and a chemistry meeting, as you refer to them, are really important. Um, and then the fifth step is be, be a good mentee. You know, if someone's taken their time to invest in you and understand where you're at and to champion you, um, be prepared, be clear on why you're wanting to talk to them, pay attention, listen to the advice. You don't have to accept it. Absolutely, I've, most of, I've got one specific mentor. I nearly always don't accept their advice. That's helpful in itself. But it's really helpful to hear his view. So, yeah, yeah, same with feedback. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, but but do listen. Don't and really, real. You know, you mentioned the basics earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Be on time. Yeah. Turn out when you said you were going to, um, and be honest about is it helping you? And if it's yeah. not, it, it, you know, say All so. Right, yeah. 
Um, so yeah, that's the list for how to develop your mentoring network. And I would add a secret sixth, which would be keep your eyes open. So every place you are yeah. and you think, I like that person, they're cool, I like the way they do things. Yeah. Write it down, and then if you ever come across them in another scenario, see if you can convince them to, you know, come have a coffee with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, that's all it is. Have a coffee. Have a coffee. See how it goes. Just don't drink too much. It's a bit, a bit too much caffeine can be bad for your mental health. It's a little health warning. Well, and you know, you don't want a motor mouth fit. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I've done yeah, yeah. that. I've totally done that. Six shots later, and and yeah, yeah. I've done that. They don't have any space. To speak. So our second list of the week. Yeah, list of week number Bonus two. Content is um about. Uh, you know how you can build a mentoring development network as an organization so maybe as an organization you want to bring in a culture of mentoring and and all that kind of stuff Um, so this is again five points that would help you think about how you go about doing that Uh, and it's kind of similar to the others but there's a bit uh, a bit of difference so again the first thing is why are you doing it right as an organization pretty much every time you do something you want to be clear about what your objectives are you know so when you're looking at bringing in something like a mentoring network in your organization, there are different reasons for doing it. Are you doing it because you want to um, demonstrably invest in your employees? Is it because you want to create a better employee experience, so, you know, a better sort of feel at work? Are there specific skills that you think that you need to maybe develop for the future uh, that you need people to learn? Do you think mentoring would help you with that? If you're looking to maybe broaden your your um, engagement externally do you, do you want to um, do you want to try and bring in some sort of approach to external networking so that your people meet more people externally do you need to improve your internal network so that you have maybe cross-functional engagement things like that do you do you have risks that you need to mitigate that you think networking might help with so there are a whole lot of reasons why having a regular sort of um, well-adopted approach to networking can be helpful and you just need to be clear on on why you're doing it and think about it right as ever don't do stuff just because somebody mentioned the word networking or mentoring and you're like oh we should do more of that just be clear on your your purpose for it so step one know why you're doing it step two i think is really important and this is understand your people so if you're going to try and roll out a mentoring you need to understand what's your starting point. And your starting point is inevitably your people when you're talking about a people-related thing like this. So you need to know, do your people know what mentoring is? Um, do you have any visibility on who potential mentors are within your organization? Or, or what about potential mentees? Do you, do you have any sense of what your mentors or mentees' motivations might be? Um, do you get a sense whether or not mentoring is something that your people would actually like. If you if you brought in the idea of mentoring, would people say, oh, wow, that would be really good? Or would they say, oh, no, here's something else I have to do? So, you know, really understanding your people um, is the, the second point in thinking about rolling out a mentoring network in your organization. Um, and then if you go through those stages and you know why you're doing it, step one, and if you understand your people and, and feel that it's the right thing for them, step two, then you can start to, to actually uh, progress. And the next stage here is bringing your people together. So you need to be clear on how you'll bring your people together. Um, will, you know, is this something that you kind of want to make mandatory? Do you want to maybe get one of your leadership cohorts and say everyone on a leadership development program should have a mentor? Do you just want to um, let anyone choose? You know, what's your approach to doing this? And how will people find each other? Particularly if you're a large organization, this can be difficult. So, you know, you might want to create a... Um, you might want to do something like maybe a speed dating event so people can get together and say a little bit about each other and see if something works there. You might want to do something like um, a digital solution where mentors write down a bit about themselves and mentees write a bit about themselves. Um, you might want to have a central group of people who try and identify based on what they know about people, suitable relationships. But whatever you do, you need to try and find a good way to, to bring people together. And... and um, you should include all levels of hierarchy within your organization if you're going to do it. You know, like, like all this stuff, if you're going to, to really make a difference, you need to include the top as well as the, the middle and the bottom. So if you do that and you get people together and they're, they're mentoring and menteeing away and it's all good, then you move on to step four, which is really about supporting and celebrating what you're doing. So, you know, how are you going to help this, you know, early culture of mentoring really germinate into something that's sustainable and supportive and beneficial to you in the long run. And there are several things that you can do. Um, You need to think about how you'll uh, demonstrate leadership engagement with this. 
You need to think about how you'll communicate. So, you know, what stories will you tell in relation to mentoring? Um, will you celebrate great mentors? Will you celebrate great mentees? Um, how are your leaders going to talk about it to make sure that it's out there? Um, what do you do if things don't work? Is there extra support you need to provide for people? So really, this is about making sure that you, you support, you celebrate, and you make your culture of mentoring sustainable. Um, and with that, there's, there's just a piece around managing expectations as well. You don't want people to, to go in thinking that, now I've got a mentor, I'll be promoted and leading the company soon or whatever, right? You know, some people think in that way. So there's just a piece about setting expectations. And I think that's an important piece around your support piece. Um, and then point five is about reviewing your progress. So if you've set up a, a mentoring network, you really want to review it, right? I mean, you talked to, or we talked a little bit at the beginning about knowing why you're doing it and your objectives. Um, so you need to review it and say, is it helping you? Mentoring networks are great, but they do, you know, if it takes place in work time, you're, you can use up a lot of time with it. And if it's just people not getting any return on investment, then um, then you might want to think about reassessing it and stopping it. For all of you that don't have a, can't see what we're doing, which is all of you, James got a little wry smile on his face because uh, his background is an accountant. It's yeah, return on investment pops up so much. It's so I much. know. Um, so, yeah, so you just need to be clear on understanding how you'll know if your, your network is successful, what your review process is, um, how you'll decide if it, it should carry on, how you'll know if it's time to stop. Um, so for me, those are the five steps for setting up a, a networking, uh, mentoring, uh, sorry, a mentoring network in your organization. So replaying them, know why you're doing it, understand your people, bring your people together, support them and celebrate any success, and then review your progress and decide if you want to carry on um, or if you don't. So that's our lists for the week. Indeed. So get mentoring, menteeing. Yeah, get menteeing. Um, so moving on, we were going to talk about stories from the keyboard. Yeah, that's and I it. think I think today we were going to uh, maybe share our own experiences of mentoring might be the most helpful thing. Yeah, and I guess um, I guess my my reflection on this is that I've never really felt that I've had a great mentoring relationship. I've had people who fill certain roles. Um, but certainly going through large organizations, I've, you know, you get paired up with people, you know, you go on whatever program or something or other and people decide that you should have mentors and you get paired up and you find them and you speak to them and, and it's never really worked for me, if I'm totally honest. Um, and I think part of it is because in, in that approach to mentoring, I've never, I think, been really clear on why I had that relationship. So where I've seen mentoring work with people in my team who we've got mentors for, they've had specific things to work on um, over the course of 18 months or two years. But I've never really had that for myself. So I've got people that I speak to. I've got a lot of people that I like having coffee with. They're people who I like to go to for inspiration or encouragement or enthusiasm or to pull me back to earth. But I'd, I've never had a mentor in the corporate sense that really worked for me. So that's, that's kind of my reflection on it. Um, so as always when we do the podcast I am the complete opposite of James yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know if that's an industry thing um, so mentoring is quite important to the non-profit and the mm-hmm. sports sector primarily because we have no money yeah. so uh, personal development quite often has to be found internally but actually all of my best mentoring experiences and I, I, it's funny isn't it because you describe what you describe is what my experience is and I would label that mentoring yeah. but I guess that's because it's been um, it's fat, fit that more traditional description so they tend to be people who have more, more, more experience with me mm-hmm. uh, m- three of my strongest mentors are ex-bosses yeah uh, that's great. And, and I've you know that's not a surprise to me because I've always picked bosses I've always picked bosses mm. on jobs um, but I would guess that probably the most important experience for me as, as a mentee mm-hmm. um, was doing this current MSc so I I said my intention to study to go back to uni out loud maybe four times to four different mentors uh-huh. uh, because I wanted to see if they laughed me out of the room or looked horrified because I know the look of horror because I remember speaking to two of them about going to remote working and they looked at me at horror yeah. they were like why would you do that that's yeah. crazy and surprise surprise they were right I really struggled with it for a long time 
Um, whereas when I said what well, I wanted to go back and study organizational psychology and why, they all looked at me uh, and actually to the point where one looked smug and was <laughs> yeah. like, well, it's funny you should mention yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, um, and, yeah. And so for me, um, the most powerful things, my I, and I love the idea of this, you know, it's when they pull for you, yeah. right? It's when they write you reference. So two of my mentors wrote me references for my... Um, because I wasn't working at a company anymore, they wrote me references for my organisational psychology masters, and I read them. And and I, you know, I knew that's what they thought about me. But my word, it's lovely when yeah. someone writes down how they feel about you and the, your potential and what they think you yeah, can do. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think for me, at times when I was really struggling with knowing that ability to go back to them, and I've got I've got one one in particular is one of my old bosses, and he just occasionally texts me and just sends me the best. So they're not mushy he is not a mushy man mm-hmm. but he just occasionally is like saw this thought of you smashing it and stuff like that and <laughs> yeah, I'm like yeah that's all I need yeah. that's all I needed to hear and when we when we, you know they've, it's moved way beyond any kind of formal relationship and to yeah. a very close friendship but that he's still at its heart I look to him and the relationship is not equal and yeah. that's how I know it's a mentoring relationship I t- he talks to me about his life yeah. but it's not the same when yeah. I, I actively seek him out for advice yeah and, and for checking yeah. So yeah, so it does work for some people, yeah, and I think yeah. a lot of it comes back to what you said. Do you know why you're yeah. in that relationship? And, and you know, I I guess in some ways I'm kind of lucky. I get through some of my family a lot of that type of stuff, and so that's where you know I get a lot of that. I believe I get a lot of the honesty and the advice and guidance, and and that's where I tend to go. So, so. interestingly, uh, you might have noticed during the, the episode that I've tended to use the word language developer and mm-hmm. uh, James talking mental. Mentor is a very corporate approach to it mm-hmm. and, and exists elsewhere but some of the research I was reading is, is a wonderful, wonderful article which I need to find to be able to reference it but they talk about non-work mm. mentors and they, they basically say label all the people of influence who care about your career and would pull for you effectively mm-hmm. into work, community, school and family yeah. and then take the community, school and family label it non-work and what they argue and their research shows is and I'm now going to have to find the reference so I can put it on the podcast but um, what their research shows is that if you're uh, looking to improve your salary you need a work mentor if you are looking to uh, improve your career satisfaction both work if you are looking to improve your life satisfaction non-work mentors will probably be more successful for you and I think that kind of fits with this and just as, as you were chatting I was thinking a little bit about the last podcast we did around values and I think part of a reason that I've struggled with some of the mentors in the corporate space is I think there's probably been a bit of a value misalignment you know and I think that you, you just get into it and I just know that we're just coming at things from different places and I, I felt that they maybe haven't understood what my objectives were um, in a way that worked for me so yeah. So, uh, yeah, the paper for anyone interested, it's, the, it's Wendy and Cram's paper on uh, the role of non-work relationships, uh, developmental relationships. And James, the one thing I would say to you mm. is, uh, I didn't say it out loud, but I would absolutely wholeheartedly agree with that. If you, the listener, can't find a mentor in your organisation that gels with you, I would strongly suggest you at least have a little consideration about why is that. Yeah, and maybe is speak it, to a recruitment agent. Well, <laughs> but, so let's start on recruitment agents. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. But certainly, you may want to reflect on the organisation yeah. that you're working with and why is that. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right. So, on our way towards the end of this, any final thoughts from you? Uh, no. Uh, yeah, maybe one, um, which is when I was an early career starter, I thought mentoring was a bit and mentoring and developmental relationships was a bit like corporate and I thought it was a bit like oh you're climbing the greasy pole by and I thought networking was generally gross Um, and now looking at the people in my life who have influenced my career and helped me and championed me and backed me and Mm. given me advice and actually given me bad news when I need to realise I'm not getting it right Um, I can't tell you how much a better person I am at my role and my work because of those people yeah. So great. So do it. Great, Just great do it. You, yeah. Do it. Yeah. I guess my my final thought on this is, um, I guess a little bit from experience, and 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 it's it's if you if you want to mentor yourself and you want to have a good mentor uh, mentor relationship, one of the things I'd really recommend doing is to be a mentor yourself. I think unless you've been in the shoes of a mentor, 
it's really hard to, to be as great of a mentee as you, you can be. So I think being on both sides of that equation is a really useful thing to do. I think the reverse of that is also true. Yeah. I think the reverse of that. Yeah, if, you're, yeah, yeah. if you're a mentor, it's very easy to think hierarchically downwards. Absolutely. Don't. And I would also mention the power dynamic. And actually that helps deal with the power dynamic that we were talking about earlier. Just before we started, we were talking about um, mentors and yeah. how it's really easy to forget you are quite often in a very much more senior position than the person you're with and that they will probably not be natural to start with and yeah. you need to be careful about that. So giving them a whole load of advice to be really rebellious or uh, assertive, for example, in their position of authority, they may well take your direction as an instruction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, and you really need to be careful have to be about careful that. about that. Um, and especially if you're a boss, anyway, yeah. it's really easy to, to, to shed that line, so just be careful. Yeah. Cool. I think that's final thoughts. So I think that's us getting to the end of our chat on mentoring development networks developmental relationships developmental all relationships, of that stuff it's been a monster it's been a bit of a beast it, it has but I, I think that's probably because there's three there's or four a lot things in there. in there we could break out as well yeah yeah and, and, and we, we might split them into different episodes at a later date um, I know when we've got grey hair and have done our other 400 episodes that we're thinking about like every time we have a chat we're like oh let's do one on never that. fear <laughs> listeners we'll be back a lot more if we're to get yeah. to our list um, alright so that's it from us and until next time that's it from me I'm checking out and that's it from me so see you soon hi thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast to learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.